This is the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Center podcast. Discussions with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, highlights from the July 2009 webinar, Identity Theft, Red Flags for Financial Services Industries, sponsored by Compliance 360 and LexisNexis, featuring Michael Goodman of Hudson Cook. LexisNexis Podcasts, voted top legal-oriented podcast in the 2008 ABA Journal Blog 100, the annual reader survey of the best websites for lawyers as chosen by the editors of the ABA Journal. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis Legal Podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. On July 16, 2009, the webinar ID Theft, Red Flag Rules for Financial Services Industries, an Operational Guide to Compliance, was held, co-sponsored by LexisNexis and Compliance 360. With more than 150,000 active users, Compliance 360 is a leading provider of enterprise governance, risk management, compliance, and audit solutions for organizations that operate in highly regulated industries. The following is the presentation made by Michael Goodman of Hudson Cook, LLP. The program was introduced by Scott McLeod, Vice President of Marketing for Compliance 360 Incorporated. And now for our presentation today, I'd like to welcome Michael Goodman. Michael is a partner at Hudson Cook, where he assists retailers, mortgage bankers, automobile finance companies, and credit card companies in the development and maintenance of consumer credit programs. He was previously a staff attorney for the Federal Trade Commission in their Bureau of Consumer Protection, where he coordinated FTC rulemaking efforts under the CAN-SPAM Act of 2003. He worked extensively on amendments to the FTC's telemarketing sales rule and litigated FTC consumer protection cases targeting business opportunity fraud, telemarketing fraud, and deceptive marketing of consumer services. His law firm, Hudson Cook, is one of the nation's most highly regarded law firms practicing exclusively in the area of consumer financial services. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our speaker for today, Michael Goodman. Thank you, Scott. Good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for joining us today to talk about the Red Flags Rule. Every year, identity theft is at the top of the FTC's list of consumer complaints. The FTC estimates that there are up to 9 million identity theft victims in the United States each year. These incidents impose staggering costs on victims and businesses alike. Victims lose money and time responding to the problem, and many describe the experience as a nightmare of frustration and stress. Businesses lose too as they write off the cost of unpaid bills. Congress's response to identity theft took shape in 2003 with the FACT Act. The FACT Act of 2003 amended the Fair Credit Reporting Act in many ways. One of these amendments obligated the Federal Trade Commission and the federal banking agencies to create the red flags rule. As directed by Congress, the goal of the rule is for each financial institution and creditor to identify identity theft risks within their operations and to develop responses to those identified risks. Following proposals and public comments, the final rule was published in November of 2007. For entities regulated by a banking agency, the compliance obligation began on November 1, 2008. The FTC has delayed compliance twice to August 1, 2009. Two main reasons for the FTC's compliance delay are, number one, confusion as to who is a covered creditor under the rule, 
and number two, delays in the FTC in releasing compliance guidance. And I have an up-to-the-minute update for you. This is on the bill that Barney Frank and the Obama administration have put forward to create a consumer financial protection agency. The proposal would not affect the substance of the red flags rule, but the bill would shift primary rulemaking responsibility for the rule from the FTC and the banking agencies to the new Consumer Financial Protection Agency. So if the red flags rule were amended in the future, under this Frank bill, the new agency would do it. However, the FTC and the federal banking agencies would keep their enforcement authority uh, for the red flags rule even under this bill. With the goal of stopping identity theft in mind, Congress and the regulators look to the link in the consumer financial services chain where responsibilities would be most effective, entities that have continuing relationships with consumers and businesses. The red flags rule drafts these financial institutions and creditors and deputizes them in the fight against identity theft. Covered entities must create an identity theft prevention program that identifies relevant identity theft red flags, creates a plan for detecting those red flags in account opening and account maintenance, and creates a plan for responding to detected red flags to prevent or mitigate identity theft. Now is the time to make a final determination as to whether the rule applies to you or not, and to ramp up your compliance campaign if you have not done so already. For each covered entity, there is no substitute for your own compliance process. Even for low-risk covered entities, there is no off-the-shelf identity theft prevention program. The red flags rule requires you to develop and implement your own identity theft prevention program, which must be tailored to your own covered accounts, access to accounts, relevant red flags, methods for detecting red flags, and responses to red flags. The rule requires your program to be appropriate to your business's size and complexity and the nature and scope of your activities. That is another clue that an off-the-shelf approach is not sufficient. The red flags rule refers to financial institutions and creditors offering covered accounts. The term financial institution is defined to include banks and others holding consumer transaction accounts. The term creditor is defined to look to the Equal Credit Opportunity Act's definition of that term. This refers to businesses that regularly defer payment for goods or services or provide goods or services and bill customers later. The FTC is interpreting the creditor definition very broadly to reach just about anyone who accepts payment after delivering a product or service. The FTC has received special appeals from lawyers and the medical industry for carve-outs from red flags compliance, but the FTC has rejected all such appeals. To provide some relief for this broad interpretation, the FTC offers a compliance template for low-risk creditors. To use this template, which is available on the FTC's website, begin by asking four qualifying questions. Number one, do you know your clients personally? Number two, do you usually provide services at customers' homes? Number three, have you had any past experience with identity theft? And number four, is identity theft uncommon in your industry? There's no test for how many of these questions you need to get right in order to qualify as a low-risk entity. The FTC provides that these are factors for you to think about 
as you decide whether you uh, can be deemed low risk or not. And even if the four factors identify you as a low risk entity, you still must comply with the red flags rule by identifying relevant red flags, explaining how you will detect relevant red flags, explaining how you will respond to detected red flags, and ensuring that you otherwise administer your program as required by the rule. On the plus side, low-risk entities can use the FTC's six-page template that might not be appropriate for higher-risk financial institutions and creditors. Even if you're a covered financial institution or creditor, the red flags rule does not apply to you unless you offer covered accounts. Both covered account and account are terms of art with specific definitions under the rule. Account covers any continuing relationship between you and your customer to provide a product or service for any reason. The term covered account breaks accounts into two groups. Number one, we have accounts primarily for personal, family, or household purposes, which involve or are designed to permit multiple payments or transactions. And number two, we have any other account, such as a business purpose account, if there is a reasonably foreseeable risk to your customers or your own safety and soundness from identity theft. The general rule here is that consumer purpose accounts are covered accounts under the rule, and business purpose accounts are covered accounts if there is a reasonably foreseeable risk of identity theft. Routine examples include credit card accounts, checking accounts, and utility accounts. One important thing to remember here is that the definitions of account and covered account are broader than just credit alone. Although the rule refers to financial institutions and creditors as covered entities, once you are a covered entity, your compliance obligation does not stop with your credit accounts. An account does not need to involve credit in order to be a covered account. What's more important under the rule is whether the account involves a continuing relationship between you and the customer with the possibility of multiple payments or transactions. The third step requires you to identify red flags relevant to your covered accounts. If you're a covered financial institution or creditor and you offer covered accounts, you need to identify identity theft red flags that are relevant to your business. Consider the covered accounts that you offer. What types of covered accounts do you offer? What are your methods for opening and providing access to your covered accounts? What are your previous experiences with identity theft? What methods of identity theft have you learned about even if you didn't experience them directly? What guidance does your regulator offer? Which of the regulator's model red flags apply to you? The model red flags, which we'll speak more about uh, in a moment, look at five categories of information that might indicate that identity theft is afoot. These include information from consumer reporting agencies and service providers, suspicious documents that a consumer presents, suspicious personal identifying information, unusual use of or suspicious activity related to a covered account, and notice from a customer or victim or law enforcement uh, that identity theft might be at play. After you've determined that you're a covered entity and you've determined that, you've, that you offer covered accounts and you've identified red flags of identity theft that are relevant to you, the next step 
is to establish a process for detecting these red flags when they are present with respect to one of your covered accounts. And so this might be relevant at both the opening of an account and ongoing use of an account. In order to detect a red flag at account opening, some things you might want to ask yourself are, how do you verify an account holder's identity? What identifying information do you collect? How do you check documents presented by a consumer? Do you compare information that a consumer provides against third-party information? And do you ask challenge questions? All five of these steps at account opening can provide you with an opportunity to detect a relevant red flag. For example, if a consumer is going to give you uh, a forged driver's license as proof of their identity, with respect to account opening, ask yourself what identifying information do you collect? How do you check documents that a consumer presents? Do you compare that information against third-party sources? Um, all those questions are designed to help your people detect that someone has presented a fake ID at account opening. Similarly, when we are talking about existing accounts, ask yourself and ask your business, how do you monitor transactions? How do you authenticate customers when they are your existing customers coming back to you time and again? How do you make sure that it's the same person each time? And how do you process change of address requests? Based on the rule and the regulator's statement accompanying the rule, they have picked up on change of address requests as a major indication that something fishy might be going on as far as identity theft is concerned. And so I would definitely recommend that you take into account your change of address process as you work on your identity theft prevention program. The fifth step after you've identified red flags and you've come up with a process for detecting them is to come up with a process for responding when you detect a red flag. The regulators provide a list of sample responses, but they give covered entities broad discretion to decide on what a reasonable response should be. And these sample responses range from doing nothing, monitoring the account for suspicious activity, contacting your customer for follow-up inquiries, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you might reset account access, your identity theft prevention program needs to provide an alternative there. Uh, it needs to provide guidance to your front-level employee who has direct access to consumers so that they know what to do when they're in that situation. And as part of that step, consider who will have decision-making authority to choose a response. Do you want your frontline personnel like your sales staff making the decision of how to respond to a detected red flag? Do you want your sales staff to escalate the situation to a supervisor? or do you want the sales staff to refer the matter to a privacy specialist? Uh, those are the things you need to consider and build into your identity theft prevention program. The next required step of the rule requires you to update your identity theft prevention program periodically. And the rule calls for periodic updating without putting um, a set timetable into the rule for that. And, and the things you need to ask yourself in order to update your program are, has your list of relevant red flags changed? As you do that, you need to look at your own identity theft experiences if you had any, and look for other relevant changes in identity theft methods, identity theft prevention, the types of accounts you offer, and industry or regulator guidance. 
And if you experienced identity theft, how will you make sure that the particular technique that was used is not used against you again? Basically what the regulators are getting at here is they want to make sure that if you've bothered to create your identity theft prevention program, that you don't stick it in a drawer and forget about it and think that a one-time compliance obligation is all you need to do. This is an ongoing process and as time goes by, the rule expects you to revisit your identity theft prevention program to look for ways it should be updated. If you offer new types of accounts, your program should be updated to account for that. You have an obligation to update your program as you go and not just do this as a one-time process and then forget about your identity theft prevention program. And the final step is to administer your identity theft prevention program. This means getting approval for your program from your board of directors or senior management, involving a designated employee for oversight of the program, training your staff as necessary to make sure that your program is up and running, and overseeing your service providers. Senior management should also approve material changes and review staff reports. According to the rule, staff reports should be provided at least annually and should assess program effectiveness, service provider arrangements, experiences with identity theft, and recommended material changes. With respect to service provider oversight, the rule suggests but does not require building a compliance obligation into your service provider contracts. The actual obligation under the rule is more flexible. Do what you must to ensure that your service providers do not create an identity theft loophole. Those seven steps that I covered just now are your red flags rule compliance obligations, from figuring out whether you're a covered entity to figuring out whether you offered covered accounts on through what you need to do to build a compliant identity theft prevention program. I now want to give you some resources for places you can go for additional assistance if you want to get questions answered about what the provisions of the rule mean. The best compliance resource out there is the document published in the Federal Register when the rule was published. And the citation for that is 72 Federal Register 63718, published on November 9, 2007. The guidance provided in the Federal Register Notice bears the official stamp of approval from the various agencies and includes an appendix of guidelines for every step of the compliance process, such as the list of 26 sample red flags. In addition, the FTC has released a how-to compliance guide for business, as well as the compliance template for low-risk covered entities. That document's available on the FTC's website, ftc.gov. In addition, the federal regulators collectively have released a frequently asked questions document uh, that answers basic questions about rule compliance. And finally, if it's all right, I'd like to mention that my own firm has a website, counselorlibrary.com, which has available for purchase a dealer's guide to the red flags rule and additional compliance template materials. That document that my firm offers is targeted at auto dealers, but it's really useful for anyone who has compliance obligations under this rule. I wanted to mention a couple of the questions answered in the Federal Regulator's FAQ document and point them out because I thought that they were especially useful as background information on the rule. 
First of all, red flags rule compliance obligations travel with a covered account if that account is sold by an initial creditor like an auto dealer to a third party like a finance company. The way the regulators look at it is the person who sits across the table from the consumer uh, at account opening has one set of obligations to look out for identity theft. And whenever that account is sold or transferred to someone else, that next person has their own independent obligation to look out for identity theft as that account is open and used and maintained. And so this isn't a question of one person being assigned responsibility for a particular covered account. Responsibility moves as the account moves. Next, when trying to understand the scope of the red flags rule, you look to the FTC's definitions of identity theft and identifying information. Identity theft is defined by the FTC to cover fraud committed using someone else's identifying information. And identifying information can be any information used to identify a specific person. The FTC has said that it will publish its own frequently asked questions document, but it hasn't done that yet. Compliance with the red flags rule requires you to be involved. Your identity theft prevention program must be customized to your business. The overarching philosophy behind the red flags rule is that you should stand in the shoes of an identity thief who wants to attack your business. Where are you vulnerable to identity theft? And how can you eliminate those vulnerabilities? In the end, for all the detail of this rule, this is what the rule wants you to do. Take a step outside your business and look at it from the outside in and look for ways that an identity thief can do harm uh, by the way that you operate. And the better you are at responding to those perceived risks, the more effective your identity theft prevention program is going to be. You've been listening to highlights from the webinar, Identity Theft, Red Flags for Financial Services Industries, an Operational Guide to Compliance, held on July 16, 2009, sponsored by Compliance 360 and LexisNexis, featuring Michael Goodman of Hudson Cook, LLP. This has been the LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Center podcast. Visit the Emerging Issues Law Center and all our communities at www.lexisnexis.com communities. The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Center podcast, copyright 2009, by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. LexisNexis, total practice solutions.